let's talk about the Bible. You want to do that just a little bit this morning? Talk about God's grace and his love. Um, Last week, I I told you these two weeks are going to be just a little bit different. Next week, we're going to kick off a new series on the book of James, which is really a letter in the New Testament uh, that the brother of Jesus wrote. So it's an interesting little letter, a lot of wisdom in it. Um, Today and last week, we're looking at the book of Philippians, which is another letter in the New Testament written by Paul, who is one of the very first Christians. It's a fascinating little letter, super short and uh, full of good quotes. In fact, it's one of the most quoted uh, letters in the entire Bible because there's all these little snippets um, of, uh, of good quotes and, and verses that people like to memorize. Um, so last week, we looked at this, this passage um, that says this, I am convinced, and I said this, I believe this about us too, um, I, am, I am convinced that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it is finished. Um, I believe that just the fact that we are here in this place means that God has done something in us to stir us to be gathered in a place like this. And so God has started something in us, and the same God who starts something isn't going to let it be pass away. He wants to continue the work that he started within us. And so I believe, I'm convinced, just like Paul was, that the work that God started in us. Now, that's in us like corporately together, but it's also in us individually. I believe that God is not done with you yet. Now, that's good news. Somebody should say amen, right? Not at the person next to you. Don't like nudge them and say, God's not done with you yet. But I mean you, like individually, that God is not done with us yet. And I'm so thankful for that when I look in the mirror because I know my weaknesses. I know my brokenness. I am well aware of my need for grace, and so it is encouraging to know that God is not finished with me yet. And we, I, I made these two statements, and, and hopefully these have been helpful. Um, I am not who I was in the past, right? I'm not who I was. I'm different today than I was 10 years ago. And you're different today than you were 10 years ago. None of us are static in our lives. We're moving one way or the other. We're, we're moving somewhere. And and the same is true about our future, that you are not today who you will be in the future. You're not today who you will be in the future. God wants to do something in you, but hey, the world wants to do something in you too. And you got to decide, which which am I going to cooperate with? Am I going to go with the normal flow of this world and just become what I become? Or am I going to allow God to do something in me and become all that I could be? We have to decide which we're going to cooperate with in our lives. Um, so today, it just so happens that this week is, is one of the greatest weeks in all the year. Do you know why? College football. Amen. <laughs> college football begins this week. Now, okay, wait, you cheer for college football, but not for like God's grace? Come on now. There, I just had to twist that just a little bit. Um, so college football. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. College football. Um, there's something that is very evident at the beginning of college football season, all these stadiums are packed full of people. Before the very first whistle is blown and the ball is kicked, everybody gathers in these stadiums, right? And they're packed. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people all across this country, and they're gathered together, and the fight songs are played, and people are cheering. And you know what like, the common theme throughout all of them is? hope. (laughs) They have hope. And it seems they have apparent joy about what is about to happen, right? There's this like exuberance, this like overwhelming joy of what is about to take place on this field. Now, 
then the reality sets in for many of us. And our teams show up. And uh, <laughs> our joy and our hope is dashed for another season, right? Um, my team lost yesterday, which was sad. It's okay. Um, so it's, this, it's this, this, this apparent sense of joy that is filling all these stadiums, cheering. And the same is true if you're a musician, right? You, you, go, to a, you go to a concert, and, and, and what's kind of overriding, kind of filling everybody is this joy about this experience that's about to take place. It's like you're connected in one spirit, gathered together, no matter how different you are. Now, I think that's what, when, when, when you're honest, I think that's what this is supposed to be for us as followers of Jesus. And you kind of look around and you go, yeah, this is just a bunch of misfits. I don't know that I want to be with that person, or not you, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you kind of look around and you're like, I'm not so sure. But did you, did you realize that today, Across the globe, millions of people are gathered like we are in this place, right? And we all come from different places, and some of us have had the worst possible week we could ever have. And some of us have had great weeks where everything seems to have gone right. And we all gather together under the banner of this, this man who lived a couple thousand years ago named Jesus Christ. And this is supposed to be a place of joy, of great joy. It's supposed to be a gathering where we are united of one spirit and something is happening within and among all of us. And we see what we see here. You know, there's like 300 seats in this place and so you think, oh, this is, this is kind of a gathering. But when you open your mind to see the global gathering all underneath the banner of Jesus, it's unbelievable. Millions upon millions of people around our world today doing what we do. Now, Paul was in this prison, and he was miles away from people that he loved in, in this little city called Philippi, and he's writing them a letter of encouragement. And he was saying things like, I believe the God who started something in you will continue that work. You're not, God's not done with you yet. You're not finished yet, right? And he's writing this letter of encouragement, and he gets to chapter four. And chapter four is one of my favorite, and, and, he, and he says this to them. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord always be full of joy. He's wrapping up his letter, and he's kind of giving them their marching orders, right? I've, I've kind of given you all this, this language, these encouragements. I'm telling you about who Jesus is, and then I'm going to say to you, always be full of joy in the Lord. And then he says, I'll say it again. I'm going to repeat myself just so you don't miss it. This is that point like in, in class when you raise your hand and you go, is this going to be on the test? <laughs> like, just, is this gonna, and, and Paul's like, yes, this is on the test. Always be full of joy. In Christ. Now, I scratch my head a little and I say, always? Like always? In, in, in the moments where we lose our jobs, in, in the moments where we lose a loved one, in the moment when, when it seems like the, the rug has been pulled out from underneath me and I can't catch my breath, always, Paul? And I think... Paul is saying, I'm in prison, going to lose my life, and I, and I would say, always be full of joy. Now, it's not this like sappy, emotional, happy, happy, joy, joy, clap your hands, everything's great, but he's saying there should be something within you that is full of joy, always. And I'll say it again, 
rejoice. Now, I did some thinking back on my life, and I grew up in the church. I know some of you grew up in the church. Many of you probably didn't grow up in the church. And I've heard this, I've heard this my whole life, this idea of joy, that as Christians, one of the primary markers that we should have in our lives is one of joy. But my experience, maybe this kind of relates to some of you, I, I created my first meme. Do any of you know what a meme is, like on Instagram or Facebook? I created my very first meme, and, and here it is. This is kind of my experience, some growing up. Um, my first pic... I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in my heart. Do you guys remember this old song? And, and the problem was, like, what I saw didn't quite match the song from time to time, right? It was like, I've got the joy, joy down in my heart, and I just wanted to say, well, why don't you let your face know about that joy down in your heart? You might have something down there, but nobody else knows you've got it. Let the rest of us in on what you feel down deep, right? I've got the joy, joy down in my heart. Oh, the church curmudgeon. That's what that guy's name is. Um, marked by joy. We should be marked by joy. That it should be something in us. Now, um, in, in another letter that Paul wrote, he said this about joy. He said that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. A fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now, do you know what fruit is? Fruit, <laughs> that's a terrible question, isn't it? You're like, of course we know what fruit is, Matt. What do you think we are? <laughs> fruit is something that is naturally produced by a plant, by a tree, that is planted in good soil and watered and nurtured. And what Paul is saying in that passage, which is found in another letter, is that, that, that joy is something that, that comes from within us, and it begins to make itself known in the world around. Does that make, does that make sense? Like fruit. So a fruit is something that comes about just by the nature of, of this thing, this tree, this plant being planted in good soil, and something comes out of it just by what it is. And so Paul says this about joy. He says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that should be naturally produced within us, and it should make its way out into the world. But here in this letter, in Philippians, he says, rejoice, and it sounds like it's a command, like it's something we can choose to do, doesn't it? When he says, always be full of joy... It seems like he's telling me to be full of joy, that it's something I can choose. But in the other letter, he's saying it's a fruit. So which is it? Is it something that's natural to us because we're followers of Jesus? Or is it something that we choose as followers of Jesus? Well, that's an interesting question. Now, Webster says this about joy, that this is what joy is. Webster says, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Now, that's what happens in football stadiums. It's, it's the prospect of possessing what one desires, a national championship or a win or whatever you want to say. But that's what, that's what Webster says joy is. Now, the biblical definition of joy is much different than what Webster tells us. The, the biblical definition of, of joy moves far beyond just some sort of emotion and if you were to pull together a bunch of like Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias and look at what scholars have said throughout the years, this is what you would find, that joy is a state of being. So notice that, not, not emotion, not, not created by what's around us or the circumstances that we may have, but rather joy is this state of being that is related to happiness, but more than emotion. And then it says, it's a result of both choice and a fruit that is produced by the Spirit. It's both a choice that we make 
and something that happens naturally within us. Now, if you have a fruit tree in your backyard, if I have a fruit tree in my backyard, there are certain things that we have to do to create the ideal conditions for fruit to be created, correct? Well, the same is true in our lives. There are certain things that we have to do to allow this fruit to be produced on the external of our lives. Um, Paul says this, anyone who belongs to or trusts in Christ Jesus has become a new person. The old has passed away and the new has come. Um, Paul tells us this, that when you, when you trust Jesus, when you lean into Jesus, when you, when you turn back to, to God and you give your life to him and you say, God, I'm, I'm not going to get it all right. I'm going to make tons of mistakes, but I'm going to try to follow you and honor you with my life. And I'm going to do this on the basis of Jesus. Paul says, when you do this, that something takes place within you and you become a new person. But the reality of our life is that it's not all new. Like I'm still who I was externally. Like when I look in the mirror, it's the same, right? And I think Paul would say this. No, down deep, you have got something new going on within your heart and your mind. But you have to make a choice to peel back the layers, to, 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 to open up the the, the points by which God's newness can begin to come out of the external shell that you still wear. Like we all wear this external shell, and we will. And what resides within us is the choice to whether or not we are going to open ourselves and allow what's inside to eventually come out. That's that meme. Put the, um, the meme back up there. The, the idea is that he's got, maybe if he's a follower of Jesus, he's got something within him. It's just not out. You just don't see it. And I think what Paul is writing to these young Christians is, you got to make it known. you got to do everything you can to, to, to open up the, the, the ugliness, the brokenness that's on the outside to let, to let something come out and fall, to, to let the fruit emerge from within you. It's both something that, that God does, but it's also something that you must choose to do on your own. So how do we do this? Because it's one thing to read the Bible and to, to, to come to this understanding that, okay, um, it's something that God's doing within me and I got to make it come out and good luck. But I think Paul gives us some handles. He says it's, it's something that you can choose. And so let me give you some handles. And I think Paul gives us three things right below this. When he says rejoice all the time, he gives us three things. And so I want to challenge you to do something this morning, to pick one. I'm going to give you three things that Paul writes, and I, I want to see if maybe there's just one that, that God might you know, nudge or push into your mind right now. Now, do me a favor. If you're sitting by somebody that you love, when I say one of them, don't like nudge them. Let, let God do that, right? So don't point it out in them. Let, let them come, kind of come to their own, their own place, and don't email me later and tell me which one you think I need. Um, <laughs> I, I, may, I may open up and be vulnerable and tell you. So here's what Paul says. So he says, rejoice all the time in, in all situations, not some happy, happy, joy, joy, false sense of happiness. He's saying, be in a state of being, secure in, in who your heavenly father is. He says this, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Let everyone see, everyone, let everyone see that you are considerate in everything that you do. Now, how would this 
create the conditions for joy to be apparent in our lives. Now, think about it. Human nature, your nature and my nature, you're going to be like, oh, don't put this on me, Matt. This might be you, but don't put it on me. Human nature is selfish, right? I'm selfish. I want what I want when I want it, and I want you all to want what I want when I want it as well, right? Our nature is just selfish. It's, it's broken, and, and in the Bible, they call that sinful, that that's that's what's at the center of who we are. And I think what Paul is getting at here is when you are considerate towards other people. Now think about what the word considerate means. When you consider other people ahead of what you want or what you desire or what you think you deserve, all of a sudden your perspective shifts. And rather than living your life in a way that makes you happy, you begin to simply provide what somebody else might need. And I think what Paul says is that this makes conditions ripe for fruit, the fruit of joy to come out. Um, I have some kids, three of them, and uh, I have a, a beautiful wife, and I love giving good gifts to my kids and my wife. I, I love to surprise them with something. Um, one of my sons had a birthday this week, and I've been kind of busy all week, and my wife kind of took care of everything. Wives, you guys are awesome when you do that kind of thing. You take care of everything. But I happened to stop by the grocery store, and I found this Arizona Cardinals football. It was like a side thing, you know, and I picked it up, and, I, and I, it brought me so much joy to buy this cheap little football that's not going to make it because of all the cactuses that are around our yard. Um, <laughs> it brought me so much joy to give this to my son. It, it brought me so much joy to... Rather than just focus on what I needed to do at the grocery store to consider someone else and offer it to them. Now think about this. When you're, when you're driving down the road, the 101 or Shea, and kind of someone cuts you off and you just, Ugh, I was mm, going to be on time. And now I'm going to be three seconds behind where I was going to be. You know? just considering other people. And I think Paul says that creates the conditions where joy can begin to express itself in your life. So the first one, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Second one, he says, don't worry about anything. Our lives are driven by anxiety, aren't they? I know some of you who own your businesses, how you can't get it out of your mind. And Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Then you will experience God's peace, which far outseeds anything you can experience on your own. Um, what Paul is saying is, is when you begin to feel anxiety or worry in your life, to, to reposition that to be a place of prayer. When you're worried about finances, when you're worried about management, an employee, when you're worried about anything, to, to simply turn, turn, turn your perspective into prayer. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then you'll experience God's peace. That, that, that realizing we can't control everything that we think we can control. Realizing that, that God has so much more power and ability than we ever will, creates the conditions where peace, joy can begin to 
overwhelm our lives. They become fruit that people see. I just saw that you lost your job. How, how is it that, that you can, can be full of joy? Because, because I don't, I, I try not to worry about anything. I try to trust God with everything in my life, right? I just saw where your mom was diagnosed with something that they say is incurable. How, how is it that you're still functioning right now? That's because... It's because I trust God far above my ability to control what's going on in around the world around me. I, I turn that, that understanding of what the circumstance is into prayer, and I trust God for what I can't accomplish on my own. Well, then joy begins to, to seep out. That's us like poking holes in the external of our lives so that something else can begin to flow out. So let everyone see that you're considerate in all that you do. Don't worry about anything. Pray. And here's the third one. One final thing, Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Fix your thoughts on those things. Um, in another part of Scripture, we're encouraged to take every thought captive Maybe this is what some of you need this week because maybe your mind tends towards, and this is natural, it's part of just the brokenness of human nature, our minds tend toward the negative, toward what's, what's wrong. I mean, you open up the, the news on, on, online or you watch the news at night, what, what's newsworthy? Well, it's usually the negative. It's about what someone did or what someone said or someone was killed or whatever it is, and our minds tend towards that direction. And Paul says, no, no, fix your mind on what is good, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Fix your mind on those things. Because when you fix your mind on those things, you're poking holes in the external of your life, that part that's rotting away, that's going to die. You're poking holes, and joy begins to fall out. So rejoice in every circumstance. Let everyone see that you're considerate, don't worry, but pray and fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure. Um, I was thinking this week about uh, the cycle of neg negativity that many of us live in. And I, uh, I tend to be a person who, uh, who is skeptical at first. Do I have any skeptical friends in the room? Some of you are like, I'm not going to be honest right now. <laughs> I, I tend to be skeptical at first. It takes me a little bit of time. And I think one of the challenges of, of skepticism, when that's, our first, when that's our first foot forward, is we place ourselves in, in this cycle of, of negativity. And look at this. Um, we have this negative thought. Now think about it relationally. We have this negative thought within us about someone else. I'm not really sure I can trust them, or I don't really believe that they're true. They're saying what they're saying is true. I, I, I don't know that this person is someone that I can get close to. And because of that, you begin to have suspicion and judgment about this person. Well, I've heard that they... Well, someone told me that she wants 
Is this true? Is this ringing true to anybody? Maybe just a few of us. Well, the rest of you can just listen in for a minute. <laughs> what happens when we have suspicion and judgment around the pe- uh, about the people around us is it creates relational distance, not just from us, but also from them. Because when you're suspicious or judgmental about someone else, they don't want to be around you, right? That person doesn't want to be around you if all you're doing is just judging all their motives. So it creates this relational distance on both sides, which leads to confirmation and reinforcement. So they distance themselves, you distance yourself, and you say, see, I can't trust that person. They're keeping me at an arm's distance. When it's really you doing that, they're keeping me at an arm's distance. You're reinforced in your negative thoughts, and you create more negative thoughts. And what this does is it begins to multiply itself in all of our relationships. We begin with this skeptical negative thought, and we are in this this moment, this cycle of negativity. And I think what Paul is saying is, look, be considerate. Look out for those people. If you have some anxiousness, turn it into prayers. And fix your mind not on what could be negative, but rather on the good. Fix your mind on what is honorable or admirable or right about that person. And get out of this cycle of negativity and allow joy to make its way into your life. Okay, one last thing, and then we're going to sing a song and we'll wrap it up. Um, there was this, this story that I think we all know, the story of, of when Jesus was born in this tiny little town of Bethlehem. And... Um, the shepherds are out in the fields. This is one of my favorite parts of the little kids' stories, you know, that they tell. And then the little nativity set, they're the shepherds with the staffs. And, you know, shepherds keep sheep. Are you with me? Okay, good. Um, so in the fields, the angels show up. And they begin with this statement, fear not, right? Don't be afraid. Which, let's be honest, all of us would be afraid if some angel showed up in the middle of the sky. And we would think, what in the world is going on? Is this some... Anyway, um, Angels, shepherds are in the fields, the angels show up, don't be afraid. And then this is what they say. I bring you good news of great joy. Some of you have read the story. I bring you great news or good news of great joy. But they don't, they don't stop there. See, the good news is the story of Jesus. And, and, and the good news is that we no longer have to figure out or fix our relationship with our Heavenly Father because Jesus, what he does, accomplishes that for us. So this is good news. Of great joy. What's the joy? That we can be at peace. That we don't have to fear. And they don't stop there. They say, and this is for all the people. I love this. It's not just for the people who show up on Sundays. It's not just for the shepherds in the fields, people who get it right. I bring you good news. This is great joy for everyone. It's for everyone. You know what the shepherds realized? That we're the only ones that have experienced this. We better go tell some people. And so then they go tell people. They allow the joy to come out. And because of that, it spreads. It's like a grassroots movement, right? That's what we're supposed to do too. 
That's what the church is all about. There's, there's good news, and it's supposed to produce great joy. And it's not just for us. It's for all the people. And so as a follower of Jesus, it's my responsibility to poke the holes in the external shell of my life to allow this joy to flow and spill out on everyone around me. That's what we're to be as a church. Well, let's, let's stand and let's sing one last song about the cornerstone of our faith, Jesus. And then let's be a people of joy in this world. Father God, you are a good God. And I thank you for your word, um, these words that Paul wrote, um, this, almost this command to rejoice, to be full of joy at all times. So God, as, as we've walked through this passage of Scripture, I pray that your spirit um, will have nudged us in one of these things, to be considerate to the people around us, to turn our anxieties, our worries, our fears into prayers and to trust you above all else. And then, God, I pray for some of us that you would help us to fix our minds on all that is good and all that is right. Thank you for the good news of Jesus, that we don't have to figure it out on our own. We sing about him in these moments. May this be pleasing in your sight.